0: Start off by sharing with you what I got my wife for Valentine's Day. Y'all see that? Y'all see that? It's very... I figure, I figure it's pretty and it's pink. And, it, and, and let me tell you what she said. The reason I'm showing this to you is that I love what she said. When I gave this to her, she smiled and she said, I am never going to wear that shirt without thinking of you. And so I thought, you know, she really only needed the first part of that sentence uh, for the truth to be told. But hopefully, uh, some of you did better than I did uh, for Valentine's Day. We're talking this morning about wisdom. Hopefully, some of you had more wisdom than I had uh, in my Valentine's Day experience. We are, if you're new here, we are in a year long journey called the whole shebang. And what we are doing here in 2010 is we are looking at the grand, epic story of God's design, God's love for us, the whole reason that we exist, and we're calling it the whole shebang. And what we're doing today is we're finishing up the first seven weeks. The first section is called the Exodus, and we are finishing up that section. Next week, we will be starting the second section, which is the second E of the Old Testament, the Exile. Do 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 do. And whenever whenever we say exile, we have to go. Do 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 do. We'll find out more about that in the next few weeks. But just so you know, in the outline that you have in your program, it says that next week is a is a break. We're not taking a break. Next week we're jumping right into the exile. Just so you know. Do 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 do. do. Thank you. Okay. See, you're you're right on. You're right on. You're tracking. So uh, so uh, this week we are uh, finishing up. As I said, finishing up the Exodus program, a uh, uh, part of the journey, and. What we talked about last week was that this Exodus journey is a season of prosperity for the people of God. It is this increasing climb in prosperity. God established a nation, the Israelites, the Jewish people. He established this nation through whom He would reveal Himself. He multiplied them to be millions of people, gave them a land, the promised land, the land of Canaan, this incredibly significant part of the Middle East uh, section there, gave them that land, gave them leaders, and they were just climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing. And here as we wrap up our time, we're going to be looking at the life of Solomon, and we're going to be looking at the question of So, how do we do life? Okay, God has set us up. God has allowed us to be in in interaction with one another. But how do we do life? How do we make good decisions? How do we interact with one another? How do we know right from wrong? How are we supposed to do life? God gave the Israelite people, He gave them the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And uh, we've looked at those throughout the, the beginning of this journey. The first five books are referred to as the Torah. And in there are a number of laws and commandments and precepts and guidelines in terms of how to do life. In fact, there are 613 of them in the Torah. And unfortunately, though, some of those are not so relevant for us. In Leviticus chapter 11, it says that it is Not right, it is unlawful to touch the skin of a dead pig. And so I don't think that makes every quarterback and every receiver sinning every time that they play football. That's just not the way I understand this piece to be. Now, if you took all of the 613 laws and precepts and commandments and filtered out the ones that continue to be relevant for us today, in other words, the ones that that transcend time, like the Ten Commandments, don't steal, don't murder, those kinds of things. You took all those, it still doesn't answer all of life's questions. It doesn't answer all of the questions that we bring to God, all of the questions that we bring to one another. There is a need for something outside of right and wrong. What does the law say? There needs to be wisdom. Last week we looked at the person in the story of David who became the most powerful in the nation of Israel. And today we're going to look at the story of his son, Solomon, who became the most wise of all people. He is the wisest person to have ever lived on this earth. We're going to see what God has to teach us in terms of wisdom in our journeys. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are in need of wisdom here in this room, some more than others. And uh, God, you know our stories. You know uh, know, uh, how what all has happened to bring us to this point. God, you know that there are days where uh, I'm doing okay and there are days where I need a, a thunderous amount of wisdom to help me get through. And so, Father, whatever we, are, whatever we brought into this room, we invite your Holy Spirit to come and pour wisdom into this place. Come speak in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may remember back in your algebra days, I know many of you love algebra, and the question often in, uh, this, in the journey of algebra is, find X. And maybe you've seen this before, but I want to show you one child's response to the question, find X. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> I, I just got to tell you, I love that. I just, I can't tell you how much I love that. Now, here's, here's another uh, response on a, on a question uh, it's the same question. It's a physics question. Letter A says, find X. Letter B says, does, this, does the object continue to move after it comes to rest? This child drew a picture of an element, elephant and said at the bottom, no, there is an elephant in the way. <laughs> How could you not enjoy that as a teacher? I mean, I was, I was trained. My education is in education of, of mathematics and physics. I would, have loved, I would have given the guy an A. I just, I just think that's awesome. Now, teachers might respond to that and say, say maybe not necessarily uh, uh, wisdom, but wise guys, uh, maybe would be the response to that. Just, just one more for fun. Okay, one more for fun. Briefly explain what hard water is. <laughs> and they give five lines, and this young person probably a boy, wrote ice. Okay. This is reassuring evidence that the future of our nation is in good hands. Wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say? Now, it could be that when Solomon was in algebra and, and physics that he struggled in school. It could have been because when he became king, God said to him, Solomon, I will give you anything you want. Anything, you can have good looks, you can have athletic ability, you can be powerful, you can be strong, anything, you can be wealthy, whatever you want. And Solomon says, I want to be what? Wise. We're going to look at this story in 1 Kings. It was nice how you said that. It was like, wise. It was very profound. So we're going to look in 1 Kings chapter 3, if you brought your Bibles, and uh, hopefully you did. Uh, We invite you once again to bring your Bibles, bring your binders, and... uh, uh, if you don't have one yet, go out and get one. If you can't get one, can't afford one, whatever, we've got them in the uh, lobby there. Somebody next to you paid for it, and you can have it. Okay, First Kings chapter 3, we're looking at Solomon's response to God saying, you can have anything you want. Verse 7, Now, O Lord my God, You have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. In other words, I don't understand algebra, maybe. Your servant is here among the people. You have chosen a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Solomon asks for a discerning heart. What that means is that in this effort to find out what is right and what is wrong there are so many gaps and holes I want to know I want to have a discerning heart for me and for my people so I can help figure out how, how to how to do life well because as I said the reality is that we don't have enough laws and commandments to cover all of the questions and the situations that we have in fact we here in the 21st century, we have a larger Bible than what Solomon had. We have the rest of, of the biblical story. And our wonderful Bible doesn't cover exactly, precisely, all of the questions that we have. People say to me often as they're struggling with how do I do life, and they say, Alan, okay, what does the Bible say about this situation? Point me to a verse. I don't want to know your opinion, I don't want to know the church's thing. I want to know what does the Bible say? that's what I'll do. And the reality is that, that often the Bible is silent about some of the things that we have to deal with, about specifically the things that we have to deal with. And so our response is, if the Bible doesn't say anything about it, I guess I can do it. Right? We say, if the Bible doesn't say specifically I can't, then I'm in. Woo-hoo! Sometimes I wish the Bible was more direct was more, was more pithy, if you will. It, it was not written for the 20th, 21st century mind. It was written at a different era, a different time. And for us, I think we would want stuff that's a little bit more direct sometimes. Sometimes I wish the Bible would say, men and women, it's not about you. The whole thing, it's not all about you. Sometimes I wish there was a verse in the Bible that I could uh, turn people to that says, what's so hard to understand about forgiveness? I forgive you. There is not anything that you can do that I cannot forgive. Period. I wish there was a verse in the Bible that said, do not try to win an argument with someone that you love. If you win, you lose. I wish there was a verse in the Bible that said, do not inject, inhale, smoke, drink, consume anything that's going to make you someone that you're not. I wish there was a verse in the Bible that said, do not have sex with someone that you are not married to no matter how old you are. I wish there was a verse in the Bible that would be that direct that I, could, that I could direct people to. I think that's what the Bible says. But so often there are not these responses, these answers to our questions of what does the Bible say that we would like. We don't always get answers to what is the right thing to do. So what we're going to look at today is, I think, a more profound question. It's the question that I think Solomon was seeking the answers to. It's a question that Annie Stanley wrote about. And uh, and I give you a reference on the page that you received on the way in. It's a book uh, entitled The Best Question Ever. And that question is, what is the wise thing to do? Hopefully over the next few minutes, you'll... Uh, discover with me that that is a much more profound question than what is the right thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? What Solomon does early on in his story is he reveals to us that with regard to wisdom and seeking after wisdom, there are patterns. There are patterns with regard to wisdom. Now, right after this story of Solomon uh, asking God For the gift of having a discerning heart, having wisdom. In that same chapter, chapter 3, 1 Kings chapter 3, there is his first encounter, his first story. It is a challenge of wisdom. Two prostitutes come up to him. These two prostitutes, they live together in the same home, and they both had a baby boy within three days of one another. And One of these babies died in the middle of the night. So we have one living baby, one uh, baby who died, and two moms. Both moms are claiming that the living baby is theirs. One mom says, this living baby is mine. The other mom says, you stole my living baby, you switched them." And then many of you are familiar with this story, but it is worth reading again. Chapter 24, we see Solomon's response to this wisdom challenge. Chapter 3, verse 24. Then the king said, Bring me a sword. This is Solomon. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order. Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is the mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw he had wisdom from God to administer justice. There is no law or commandment or precept in the Torah to handle this exact specific situation. What's the right thing to do? But Solomon, out of his discerning heart, out of the wisdom that God gave him, He knew there are patterns with regard to what the wise thing is. There are patterns to wisdom. And the pattern in this story is that a true mom cares more about the baby than about her being mom. That's the pattern. So Solomon said, this is the true mom. There are patterns to wisdom. Wise people see patterns. Now, I would like to say that I play chess. That's, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, I know how to play chess is more accurate. Because when I play chess, I can see about two moves ahead of myself. And what that means, if you know chess, is that while I get all excited about my second move, the other person is saying, checkmate. That, that's basically <laughs> what that means. And so uh, a chess master can actually see 10 moves ahead. A chess master knows 10 moves ahead on this whole deal. And a grand chess master... Doesn't even think in terms of number of moves. A grand chess master looks at the board and just sees a pattern. Just looks at the whole position of every piece and sees the pattern to know which way this whole game is going. So uh, one move will shift and go, okay, now we're looking at a different pattern. And a chess master, a grand chess master can see that. I, that, that blows me away because I, I, I just think, okay, knight two one. Uh, two, one. That's about as far as, as I can go with this deal. Wise people see patterns. I discovered this in music, too. I used to be blown away by people who could just start playing almost any song. They, they could just jump in maybe with a song they've never even heard. they just jump in with the right chords. And I think, how did you know there was a G chord at that place? How did you know at the start of the chorus that you needed to play a G chord? How'd you do it? Do you memorize? It blows me away until I realized music is about patterns. One, four, five, four, one. The whole thing is about it. Music is mathematical. The whole thing is this pattern. So now I have a basic understanding of music. I'm still blown away by people who can play like that. But there is a pattern to it, and there's so much that can be learned by identifying the patterns that are in our lives. So as you seek, what is the wise thing to do in your story? What is the pattern in your life? For example, maybe one of your questions or issues is what to do with alcohol. Because alcohol, from my understanding, is, is not a, a, a clear black and white issue in Scripture. Now, having too much alcohol is. Drunkenness absolutely is. But what about having a, a beer or having two beers? Well, what's your pattern? What happens to you when you drink, when you have one beer, when you have two beers. What's your pattern? I know the pattern of the people who live behind me. Last night at 1 o'clock in the morning, I know their pattern. They can come and talk to me. I know what happens to them when they have too much to drink. What, what, what's your pattern? What about your family of origin? What are the stories that are part of your history that you can see a pattern from? How, did, how does... Your family respond to alcohol, to addictions, to morality. What, what, what have been some of the health issues in your family situation? What are the patterns that you see that you are a part of? I once remember a, a friend of mine who had been a student ministry pastor for quite some years. and He said, he said Alan, I see a pattern among young girls, high school girls who are promiscuous. There is a pattern that their fathers are consistently in some sort of time addiction. Whether it's golf or it's work, their fathers are not present. They're not there for these young girls. I see this pattern. So, this student ministry pastor said, I see the pattern out of wisdom. I'm going to speak into that. I'm going to do what I can with these families. Wisdom sees a pattern. Sees a pattern in our own lives, and wisdom, when we see that pattern, does not assume that we are an exception to that pattern. Wisdom says, okay, if this is the pattern that I see as part of my journey. I better pay attention to that and not just wipe it off as, ah, that's them, it's not me. I'm exempt from that. Solomon models for us that there is a pattern towards wisdom. But what's beautiful about uh, Solomon's story that we'll see here in just a moment is that he doesn't, he doesn't limit it to our own, our own understanding of these patterns, that it doesn't all fall on our shoulders to figure out how to be wise. I want to take a look at a couple verses in Proverbs that are awesome. Uh, turn with me to Proverbs. It's in the middle of your Bible. It's right after the book of Psalms, which is huge. Proverbs is a little bit smaller. It's tucked... Tucked in after the book of Psalms. In the same way that David is credited with writing most of the Psalms, Solomon is credited with writing most of the Proverbs. Not all of them, but most of the Proverbs. And Proverbs, if you are a left brain, engineering, thinking, reasoning person, Proverbs is your book. You need to read it. It's great. It's short. You can handle it. And, uh, and uh, what I love about this is that David and Solomon were back to back and then therefore Psalms and Proverbs are back to back. This right brain and left brain experience, God put them together through David and Solomon through Psalms and Proverbs, almost as if he understands how we think and how we've been designed, how we've been structured. So here, jump to Proverbs chapter 3. Some of you are very familiar with these verses, but keep in mind, these were written by the wisest man who has ever walked this planet, the smartest, sharpest, wisest, the person with the most confidence, who had reason to have the most confidence in his own thinking. He says, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight that's a great couple verses if you are looking to memorize something this is one to memorize to embrace to 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 become a part of who you are underline it highlight this one grab it down absorb it it's a beautiful gift from God this is this is good stuff what I love about it is that this verse for me identifies Solomon's place in the whole shebang It identifies why it was so important for God to tell his story because it is a significant part of the grand story. This verse, to me, connects Solomon's quest for wisdom to the whole shebang. What I mean by that is that our quest for wisdom, to do the right thing, to live life well, to make good decisions, that quest is connected to our relationship with God. Because Solomon is here saying, this is where you get that wisdom, this is where you get that understanding, is by by deepening your connection with God. In other words, the quest that we have to make wise and right decisions is intended to draw us closer to God. If you want to make wise decisions, if you want to know what the will of God is, Scripture is very clear, draw closer to Him. Draw closer to him, the one who gives us this wisdom, who gives us this understanding. You are character number two in the whole shebang. There's three characters, God, people, and the enemy. You are character number two, and it is a restored relationship with your God that brings you to a place of wisdom, that brings you to a place of being able to live the life that you so want to live. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. He will identify which path you are to take. He will show you the pattern that will help you see what the next steps are. He will make your paths straight. He will give you the wisdom in order to make wise decisions. Psalm beautifully knew that it wasn't about his own understanding. He knew that his wisdom came from God. Now, now this, this, here's another beautiful thing here. I, I just love this. This piece about wisdom flowing out of a relationship with God, to me, means that wisdom is unique. Just as relationships are unique, God does not have the same exact relationship with every person. So therefore, wisdom is a unique experience that God, out of His relationship with you, uh, 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 as a result of your story and your history and your journey, He identifies patterns in your life, and there's a uniqueness to your experience with Him. There's a uniqueness to the wisdom in your life. So the question is, what's the wise thing to do? And it's not a generic answer to all of us in all our different circumstances. What is the wise thing to do in light of your past experiences? In light of your history and the things that you have struggled with, the the addictions, the mistakes, the decisions, the family history, in light of your past experiences, what's the wise thing for you to do? In light of your current circumstances, your current financial situation, your current relationships, your current living situation, in light of your current situation, uniquely, what is the wise thing for you to do? In light of your future hopes and dreams, what you imagine life could be like in five or ten years, in light of the dreams that God has put in your heart, in your mind, what's the wise thing to do? There is something beautifully unique about this journey. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. I'm not talking about relativistic morality and saying, oh, whatever you feel is right. If it feels good, do it. No, there are right and wrong in this world. There are absolute truths. There are scriptures that are as pithy and direct as as the ones I had read before that say this is the right thing. There are those places. There are black and white parts of life. But there are more things that are gray than there are things that are black and white. And wisdom covers more territory than being right and being wrong. Let me give you an example of this. If you work, and in your work situation, if you are involved in a, in a relationship with a coworker of the opposite sex... And that relationship is just flowing out of your work situation. You're doing lunches together. You're doing business trips. You're spending time late with one another. And you enjoy interacting. You enjoy talking with this person. There's nothing inappropriate. You just enjoy talking with this person. And in those conversations, you find yourself wanting to talk about your struggles in your own marriage. And you listen to this person talk about his or her struggles in, in, in their marriage. And so, it's just, there's this intimacy that is growing with this. What is wrong with that? Scripture doesn't say anywhere, clearly, specifically, don't do that. In fact, you might be able to make an argument that that this is consistent with Scripture. We are to love one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. So, maybe, biblically, that's the right thing to do, in terms of right and wrong. But in our hearts, we know that is not The wise thing to do in light of the patterns of this world in light of the patterns that we see in marriages and families that get destroyed as a result of those kinds of relationships that seem so inert in the moment in light of those patterns that is not the wise thing to do I am extremely careful in those relationships in relationships with with women outside of, of my marriage extremely careful Because that is, in my mind, it's the wise thing to do. That's stronger than what's the right thing to do. What does the Bible say I can get away with? Wouldn't it be great if you had asked this question what is the wise thing to do? If you had asked that question a year ago, or five years ago, or ten years ago, just think about some of the circumstances. If you had asked, what was the wise thing to do? Because I knew what the wise thing to do would have been, should have been. Wouldn't it be great if our future could be shaped by us asking that question now? What's the wise thing for me to do? Now, I want to close by looking at the tragic end of Solomon's story. Go back, if you will, with me to 1 Kings And now we're in chapter 10. This is kind of the epitome of the prosperity of the nation of Israel. And it it had grown to this incredibly successful place. I want to read here verse 23 in chapter 10. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon To hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons, and spices, horses, and mules. All this chapter 10 is talking about the splendor and the glory of Solomon's reign and all that was happening with him. Just elevated to an amazing place. And then there's chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. This is one of the biggest howevers in Scripture because this is the however that transitions the story from the beautiful prosperity of the exodus and establishing a nation to the tragic decline of the exile. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters, Moabites, Ammonites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. You may have heard that Solomon had many wives. Here's how many he had. He had 700 wives. That's not a typo. Of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led I used to think when I was younger that a concubine was a pet with quills. That I, I thought that maybe, maybe the story was Grace is saying lots of wives and lots of odd Middle Eastern animals. And, uh, but I realized that's not, that's not the case. A concubine is in every way a wife, it just has to do with dowries and whether they had dowries or not. They were a thousand wives. A thousand wives. And I'm not going to make any other comment to that. I've decided out of wisdom not to make any other comment. But does that sound like a wise thing for Solomon to do? A thousand wives. Verse 4, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart David of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians and Melech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. Solomon, as a result of having all these wives and needing to appease them and, and uh, uh, connect with them, embraced their different little G gods from, an, from different uh, experiences and backgrounds and religions, etc. And in so doing, He crashed. He crashed. See, Solomon reveals to us in the the last part of his tragic story, there is a huge chasm between knowing what the wise thing is and doing it. Huge chasm. Solomon knew this was not the wise journey. He knew that he was to have one God. He knew. He said it. His own words were, uh, in all your ways acknowledge Him The one God. He knew that our God is a jealous God. Our God is not interested in us having relationships with other little g-gods and seeking wisdom from other deities and other supernatural places. God is not interested in that. Any of the areas in our lives where we seek wisdom, we have enough information. We know what the wise thing to do is. The question is, sometimes... Do we have the strength and the courage and the support to make the wisest, to do the wise thing? What I want to do with our last few moments here this morning is I want to give you a few minutes. I, I, uh, I've given us a few minutes here at the end. I invite you to take the piece of paper that you received on the way in, the whole shebang insert. And on, on the section there, I invite you to write three things down. And if you don't have a, a pen or a writing stick, and, and uh, you can just kind of think through these three questions in your head and kind of write them down in your mind's eye. But I want to give us a few moments to just reflect on these three questions. First of all, what decision or dilemma did you bring into this room? What is weighing on your heart? In what area of your life are you seeking wisdom? Maybe it has to do with a job change or a relationship or parenting or maybe a morality issue. In what area of your life are you willing to say right here before your God, I want wisdom in this area? Just You can write it down in code if you don't want someone around you to, to know. What is it? What's the area for you? Write it down. Write it down. Make it, make it start to come out of you. Get it onto the paper. Second thing I want you to do is I want you to just take a moment before your God and honestly ask him, God, what's the wise thing for me to do here? In light of your past experiences, in light of your current situation, in light of your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing? Not just what's the right thing, what does the Bible say specifically about this situation? What is the wise thing that a discerning heart could decide here in in this situation? Ask God what the wise thing to do is. lastly, I want to let the rubber meet the road. In light of um, what you believe is the wise thing to do, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do today, this week? Don't let it just be words on a page. What are you going to do? What step can you take toward that? If you didn't have time to do any of those three, I encourage you to, to set some time aside with your God and seek what the wise thing to do is, perhaps on any decision, any dilemma you're faced with. Let, let me pray with you, please, bow your heads. God, there are a lot of needs here in this room. Father, I pray for something supernatural to happen between the pen and the paper so many here in this room who've written things down. The beauty is that you have a unique relationship with each one of us, so you know each of these stories. You knew what we were going to write down before we even wrote it. God, we thank you for that. We ask that there would be a supernatural encounter where you would give us wisdom in terms of a, of a discerning heart. What is the wise thing to do in this situation? And God, that you'd give us the courage and the strength to do something. Come, Holy Spirit, give us what we need to do what we can't do on our own. Come, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to do one more psalm here with you.